All right. Before we get into this message, I want to just preach a super short message to you. This is a this is a message that I used to preach whenever I would speak in uh, Christian school chapels, and I, I preached it a few of them back in my, my days when I was teaching in a Christian school myself. I, I preached it a few different ones, and I would always preach this sermon about how when they left the uh, when they were going to leave Egypt, Pharaoh kept wanting to let them leave, but he wouldn't let them take everything. And then Moses finally said, we're going to go with our flocks and our herds. We're going to go in with it. We're taking everything, he basically said. And I used to tell that to the kids in school, telling them, pay attention to what you're being taught in school. You never know what the Lord may want from you in the future. A lot of times, young kids are thinking, I don't need this stuff. You know, I'm never going to use this. Well, here's the thing. If you don't learn it now while you have the chance, then it's not, that's one more thing you're not going to have to give God later, and He might want it from you. He might end up wanting you to go into a certain field, and so you need to know these things. And I've been thinking about this since I've been studying this, because, you know, I'm, I'm really embarrassed by the lack of knowledge that I had when it come, when it came to just the timeline of things and the minor prophets and just certain concepts of things that took place after the Babylonian captivity. And you know, I've been having flashbacks since I've been doing this study of when I was in school, I was taking an Old Testament survey in ACE. And I remember when I got to the later parts of the Old Testament, I remember they had this, uh, on the test, they had this thing where it had the different minor prophets written there and you had to write on there, you had to list if they were pre-exile, post-exile, you know, or during the exile, things like that. And I remember, <clears throat> I just, I absolutely flunked and bombed that test. And I was like, this is boring. But you know what? I realize now how much I needed this. And I am also embarrassed at how many preachers are just clueless when it comes to this stuff. And it is showing in their interpretation of the Bible. And... I'm going to show you some examples tonight of things that people are preaching from this passage, specifically Sam Gipp. He brought up one of these verses in here at the Anti-Anderson Conference that I was just like... I remember when he, when he brought it up, it didn't prove anything on his side, but I was like, I didn't really know what to say about that verse. And now that I've studied this, I'm just like, good night. He made a fool of himself even trying to use that verse. But you know what? Most of the people are like me. They didn't pay attention to that class in Old Testament survey. And so it went right over their head when he's going to this verse. So we need to know this stuff. You need to pay attention to everything. It's all important. So let's go ahead and start. <clears throat> Before we get started, let's look at uh, remind ourselves of a couple things. So in chapter 7, we saw how uh, we've taken a two-year jump. It's two years later from the first six chapters. And remember, they sent two men to go find out whether or not they were going to continue the tradition of fasting and weeping on the fifth month in remembrance of Jerusalem being destroyed and them going into captivity. Because now, they're back in the land. The temple's being built. Things are good. The prophecies are being fulfilled. So, why would we continue this weeping and fasting we should be celebrating. So should we continue doing this? And basically the whole chapter, it doesn't, God doesn't answer them in that chapter, but He's basically asking them, did you learn your lesson? Did you learn anything from the 70 years? And now when we get into chapter 8, this is where we're going to see the answer to that question after God's basically said, alright, before I answer this, 
did you learn your lesson? So let's go ahead and start reading in verse 1. <clears throat> it says again, the word of the Lord uh, of, of hosts came unto me, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I was jealous for Zion with a great jealousy, and I was jealous for her with great fury. Thus saith the Lord, I am returned unto Zion, and I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem should be called a city of truth, and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Okay? God did not enjoy having His people in captivity. That 70 years when they were being judged, when they were being taken advantage of, when they are being abused, when many of them are being killed, God didn't enjoy any of that. But this, and, and during that time, when His people are taken captive, He's jealous of them. You know, He's jealous over them that whole time. Okay? But at the same time, this was something God had to do. Israel had it coming. And you know, hopefully you as parents, you don't enjoy spanking your kids. Okay? When your kids need punished, hopefully it's like, ah, yes, they're being bad. Now I get to punish them. Right? Hopefully it's sad for you. Right? It hurts us worse than it hurts them. Right? I still don't know for sure about that. But... Uh, but at the same time, God's saying, hey, I was jealous over you during this time. But then he says, I am, I am returned unto Zion. Okay? Now, I want you to pay attention. As we go through this chapter, you need to ask yourself, is this something to come in the future, our future, or is this something that was during this time? Okay? Because this is where your prophecy people are going to come and they're going to make some of the stuff about the future and it's not. Look what he said in verse 3. He says, I am returned unto Zion and I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. So, well, that's future right there. That's because they're building the temple. Once he builds the temple, he's going to dwell with them again. He's waiting for, they're waiting for the house of the Lord. So, it says, and during this time, they, were no, they weren't offering sacrifices to the Lord. You know, um, during that time they were in Babylon, the people, they were oppressed, his house had been destroyed. And that's another reason he was jealous too. Remember all the holy vessels, they were taken from the house of the Lord. And remember Belshazzar, what he did in Daniel, how he went and they had their party and they used those vessels from the house of the Lord. And then you know what happened? When Belshazzar did that, the hand came and they had the handwriting on the wall. God basically told him, you're finished. And Babylon was taken over that night, which began the process of now bringing Israel back to their land. New, you know, a new group was in charge, the Medes and the Persians, and God put it in the heart of Cyrus to allow them to uh, go back, rebuild the walls. So it all kind of began with that. Because God was jealous during that whole time, but when they went and they were desecrating those you know, vessels from the house of the Lord, that's when God said, alright, that's it. You're done. You're done. You've been weighed in the balances and you're found wanting. So, all, these, all this stuff has happened during that time. God is ready now to get His people back. So in verse 4, it says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, There shall yet old men and old women dwell in the streets of Jerusalem, and every man with his staff in his hand for very age, and the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets thereof. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, if it be marvelous in the eyes of the remnant of His people in these days, should it also be marvelous in mine eyes, saith the Lord of hosts. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them, and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in truth 
and in righteousness. Now, so far, there is no indication that this is something in the distant future. Okay? Everything would appear that God intends to fulfill all of these things in the days of Zerubbabel. That's why we see in chapter 4, verse 9, it says the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also finish it. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto you. So these things that it's talking about here, we're going to be fulfilled in this chapter. We're going to be fulfilled in that day. The things that he's specifically talking about right here. And so it's of utmost importance that we remember the context of this book. It was written to get them to rebuild the house of the Lord. Okay, the, the, the book of Zechariah is not a book of prophecy for Israel's future in our day. No, the book of Zechariah was written for that generation. This was the generation that God brought out of captivity, major fulfillment of prophecy. And this was this generation that was rebuilding and was going to finish rebuilding the temple Another major, major fulfillment of prophecy, specifically from Jeremiah. Remember, Jeremiah was written right before they get taken captive. Jeremiah is the one who pronounced to them that you are going into captivity. And nothing is going to change that. You're not getting out. There's, there, there's no two ways about it. But Jeremiah also prophesied after 70 years, you're coming back. Okay? And so now here we have... We're seeing the fulfillment of this right here. This is not something for the distant future. And it blows my mind how many pastors, they just can't seem to study. And, and I understand if you're just clueless and ignorant, but at the same time, people ought to be able to show you a clear scripture and you ought to be able to get things right. Okay, I used to be mixed up in this stuff too. But you know, I'm glad I wasn't so stiff-necked, so hard-hearted, so stubborn, so full of myself, so arrogant that I wasn't able to... Admit the error of my ways on this. It's very liberating when you have enough humility to just say, I was wrong and then fix it. And then now, you know, the Lord's able to open more things to me and show me more because I'm actually willing to learn unlike these just, I mean, stubborn mules that are in churches today that just can't seem to learn anything. And you know, it just, it fires me up because let me tell you something. If I may just rant for a minute about the old IFB. I saw... I watched, I just watched a video clip. I'm going to show it on my radio program. This, it's going to be on my radio program this Sunday. And it made me stinking mad. Alright? And it made me mad at Baptist. And it was a video of Mike Pence. And Mike Pence was, uh, he was, uh, giving a speech talking about America's support for Israel. And man, I mean, he's just pandering big time to the evangelical Christians and stuff. And you'll, you'll see this whole clip. But he went to Jeremiah 29-11. All right, let's go to Jeremiah chapter 29, 11. He went to this verse, and I heard him read that verse, and I was just like, all right, that sounds real pretty, but I wonder what the context of that is. So I went and I looked, and I was like, are you kidding me? This is, he, he gets up there, and with his sincere eyes, you know how Mike Pence does. You know, and he's just kind of standing there looking on the crowd. As he's trying to look through the teleprompter, but look like he's looking at the crowd, you know, as he's reading this, listen to what he reads. And he said it in such sincerity to me, and the guy has to be saved. Alright, the guy has to be saved. He gets up there and says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you. I think he left to say it the Lord out. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. 
to give you an expected end. Okay? He quoted that verse as basically, he's almost saying that like this is his thoughts towards Israel. You know? And he's just like God, man. He thinks good towards Israel. So look at, you know, it, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. Now people will use that even today to, I mean, we've got to bless Israel. And he mentioned, you know, God's promise to bless them that bless you and curse them that curse you. He brought that up too. He brought all that up. But let's, let's look at the little more of this passage. Let's get some context and let's see if this was appropriate the way Mike Pence used it. And the thing is, I, when I saw it, I didn't get mad at Mike Pence, okay? Mike Pence is just pandering to evangelical Christians. I got mad at the stinking Baptists that are preaching the exact same trash that Mike Pence is barfing out of his mouth, you know, on, on a stage. One of the leaders of our country just, it made me sick. Look what it says in verse 10. For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. Okay, now let me ask you, was this, was Babylon, the captivity of Babylon, it was a punishment, wasn't it? It was a pretty severe punishment too, wasn't it? Now, God did it to them because He loved them. He did it to them to teach them a lesson. He was jealous over them during that time. But folks, look at what it says there. It says, He says, uh, after 70 years be accomplished. After 70 years, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. When was this fulfilled? Is this in the future? Or did this already happen? This happened. This went on. This is after Zechariah's prophecy. It says, And for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. So when God is saying this here, God's saying, hey, this judgment that's coming your way, because you realize it's in the very next chapter where He says, I believe it's in the next chapter. Isn't it in chapter 30 where He says, reprobate silver? I could be wrong on that. I might, don't, don't quote me on that. But, He's, he's getting ready to tell him, I'm sending brutal judgment your way. But remember, God's judgment, God's chastening, He doesn't do it in a way to harm us. He does it to help us. Okay, Just like when you're spanking your kids. You're not trying to destroy your children. You're trying to help them. Okay, so And the thoughts you think towards your children when you punish them are not thoughts of evil. It's, thought, it's good thoughts. Okay? You're wanting, to, you're wanting to perform something good in them. But let me ask you, when, so when God said this, and He's talking about doing good to them, the good that He's about to do to them is punishment. Let's think about that for a little bit. Okay? Verse 12 says, Then shall ye call upon Me, and ye shall go and pray unto Me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek Me and find Me, when ye shall search for Me with all your heart. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord, and I will bring you again into the place whence I cause you to be carried away captive. So right there we see this is something, this already happened. This already happened, but Mike Pence is up there looking like an idiot Baptist, quoting that scripture the way he is, acting like you know the, we're helping the fulfillment of this right now. Almost as if he were God or something. It's just ridiculous. And the thing is, boy, you should have heard the crowd. Oh, man, they're just going nuts. They're going nuts. And I guarantee you, when he was making that speech, there were thousands and thousands of Baptists watching it, 
Oh, amen. God raised him up for such a time as this. I'm sick of hearing people say that about Trump for such a time as this. You know, Trump's fulfilling Bible prophecy by moving the embassy to Jerusalem. I know he's not a perfect president. I know he's got a lot of problems, but I just can't help but think that God has raised him up for such a time as this. Folks, I'm telling you, man, if it were not for what is going on in the new IFB movement, I would say God is done with Baptist. The ignorance, the stupidity, the wickedness of what they're teaching, it's, a, it, it's enough to make me want to vomit. And we wonder why the younger generation is leaving the old IFB. They're leaving the old Paz crowd and they're getting all caught up in the Calvinist trash, the Paul Washer trash, the, the trendies, the purple light, skinny jean, just foolishness. We wonder why. You know why? Because they were raised up, they were trained up by just a bunch of ignorant, I mean, blowhards that don't know a thing about the Scripture. It makes me sick. And I'm sorry this kind of stuff. It just it gets me a little fired up. People have no, I mean, just, they know nothing about Bible history. Absolutely nothing. And then they're going to, and, and Sam Gipp, when he was, wait, wait do you see what he taught. And I got video proof. I went and found the video. He's got it on his own YouTube channel. He put the sermon online. So anybody can look up what I'm saying about Sam Gipp and know that I'm telling the truth on what he says. And I'm going to show you what he teaches from this chapter, but unlike Gip, I'm showing you the context before we get there. So you can see that he had no idea what he was talking about, but it was okay. You know why? Because he was preaching to a congregation of typical independent fundamental Baptists that fell asleep during Old Testament survey too. And so it went right over their heads. Hey, it's pro-Israel, amen. They were all for it. So where was I? I think we're at verse 12. Oh, boy. And the Lord shall inherit Judah, his portion in the Holy Land, and shall choose Jerusalem again. Okay? Is this our future? Or is this during their time? It was during their time. And I already showed you how choosing Jerusalem, that means his temple is going to be there. It means he's going to dwell there. It says, Be silent, O all flesh, before the Lord. For he is raised up out of his holy habitation. So if he's choosing it again, okay, think about this. If he's choosing Jerusalem again, it means he's done it before, right? Okay, that's not real deep. If he's choosing Jerusalem again, it means he's done it before. So what does it mean to choose Jerusalem? First Kings six eleven, and the word of the Lord came to Solomon saying, Concerning his house, which thou art in building. If thou wilt walk in my statutes and execute my judgments and keep all my commandments to walk in them, then will I perform my word with thee, which I spake unto David thy father, and I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. So Solomon built the house and finished it. Okay, This is talking about the first temple that was built. Solomon's temple. God said, when you build it, He said, I'm going to dwell in it. I will choose Jerusalem. That's the city upon which I'll put my name there forever. But then, because of their wickedness, Jerusalem got destroyed, the temple got destroyed, but now it's be, the temple's being rebuilt and God's about to dwell there again. He's about to choose it again. This already happened. 
And I'm seeing it over and over and over again where people are using these prophecies and they're talking like it's still in the future. This was in the days of Zerubbabel. This already happened a long time ago. And so it says in uh, verse 9, it says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Let your hands be strong, ye that hear. In these days, these words by the mouth of the prophets, which were in the day of the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts, was laid, that the temple might be built. For before these days, there was no hire for man, nor any hire for beast, neither was there any peace to him that went out or came in because of the affliction. For I said, all men, every one against his neighbor. But now I will not be under the residue of this people as in the former days, saith the Lord of hosts. For the seed shall be prosperous and the vine shall give her fruit and the ground shall give her increase and the heavens shall give their due and I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all things. Oh, we ought to see the way the land of Israel is blossoming today. Have you ever seen pictures of Israel in 1947? And then now, since God has brought them back to the land in 1948, Ezekiel 37 was fulfilled, and now it's just blossoming. It's a beautiful land. Why is that? I'll tell you why. Because God's fulfilling Zechariah chapter 8. Right here is what we're seeing go on. No, this was talking about in that day. It was talking about in that day, um, yeah, I will cause the remnant of His people to possess all things. Yo, they're getting more of that land little by little. We need to pray for them. We need to see what we can do to help as they go through and they bulldoze Palestinian apartment buildings and then find Palestinians for not removing the debris. You know, we need to pray for them as they go through and are, you know, just building these settlements in Palestinian territory. We need to pray that the Lord keeps putting Jewish judges in those places so they can continue evicting the Palestinians who've had this land for generations and generations. They need to get out of there. God promised it to Abraham and his descendants. You know, you all realize how wicked this is? You know, this stupid Bible interpretation. It is encouraged. Think about this. What You know what it's encouraging them to do? It's encouraging them to afflict the stranger. Because they would call them the stranger. They would call the Palestinians the stranger that's dwelling among them. That's one of the things they went into captivity for, was for afflicting the stranger. And when they got asked them, did you learn your lesson about afflicting the stranger? Alright, you want me to work work with you again? Alright, don't afflict the stranger. And what do we see them doing today? They're afflicting strangers. They're afflicting... And the thing is, they're not even the strangers. They've been in the land longer than the Jews have. But they are. They're oppressing them. They're creating widows and then they're taking advantage of widows. They're taking advantage of the fatherless. But sadly, the Palestinians are not saved. They're not calling on the Lord. We need to pray those people get saved. You know, I I wish, I, I pray for a revival in Israel. I pray that it be amongst the Palestinian people. I pray that the Palestinians will get saved en masse and they will call on the Lord because of the persecution they are receiving from Israel. And I believe if they would do that, maybe that would help speed things up when God comes back and wipes out those people who said that he w- they would not have Him to reign over them. That's what's coming. You know, we want to speed up the return of Christ. Let's go get some Palestinians saved. Let's get them on God's side. Let's get them praying. Let's get some Abraham. Let's put some Abraham seed in the land of Israel by getting the, those Palestinians saved, and then they can rem, 
you know, God can come and take care of them. That's what we ought to be rooting for. That's what we ought to be looking for. But this, this wicked, this just ignorant interpretation of the Bible is in, it's getting Baptist to encourage Jews to violate what they went into captivity for. Think about that for a minute. That's just how clues. They never ask. You go ask your typical Israel supporting IFB Baptist. Why in the world? You know, what, what did God send them into Babylon for? They don't know why. Well, they, they were wicked. Why? Tell me what they did. Tell me what they did. They were oppressing the stranger in their land. That was one of the main things that kept getting brought. They were stealing. That was one of the main things that it talks about. They were stealing. That's exactly... Well, how, how could they steal from the stranger if it all belonged to Israel? Think about that for a minute, too. Even back then. These things... So, this is just... It, it's just mind-blowing. Okay? I've had, I've had enough. I, I, listen, I used to just want to find a way to hold hands with the Israel supporters, you know? I like the people, but... I'm thankful there's more and more churches now preaching the truth on this stuff. Because there's enough of us now... I'm to the point now, it's like, you know what? Who needs the old IFB? Just forget them. We, we don't need them anymore. They're a boat anchor around the neck of Christianity. They're an embarrassment to the, just to the Scriptures. They have no idea what they're talking about. So then it shall come to pass that as you were a curse among the heathen, O house of Judah, O house of Israel, so will I save you, and ye shall be a blessing. Fear not, but let your hands be strong. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, as I thought to punish you, when your fathers provoked me to wrath, saith the Lord of hosts, and I repented not. So again, have I thought in these days to do well unto Jerusalem. In these days, in these days, to do well unto Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Fear ye not. Everything that we have seen so far is showing it's in these days. It's all about these days. This is not about the future. It was in these days. I wish Gip could figure that out. So God is telling them that the punishment is over. Now God's ready to bless them. Y'all did your time. You got your 70 years. I'm ready to bless you. Y'all realize God wants to bless us. God wants to bless His people. But sometimes He can't. Because we're just we're living wicked. But that's always His goal. God always wanted to be good to Israel. But He couldn't because they were so wicked. So after God does this horrible punishment, God is anxious and excited to bless them. He's, that's what He's wanting to do. So verse 16 says, These are the things ye, that ye shall do. Speak every man truth to his neighbor. Execute the judgment of truth and peace in your gates. And let none of you imagine evil in your hearts against his neighbor. And love no false oath. For all these are the things that I hate, saith the Lord. So he's giving them to obey. He's giving them a command again, or the instruction to obey the commands they had disobeyed in the past. Y'all better learn your lesson. And the word of the Lord of hosts came unto me, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, The fast of the fourth month, the fast of the fifth, and the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth, shall be to the house of Judah joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. Therefore, love the truth and peace. So now he's answering that question from chapter 7. And he said, you know what? We're turning the times of fasting and weeping into the time of joy and feast. That's what God, God's answering the question. Because it was a legitimate question. Remember, I, I talked about that last week. And they're like, yes, you're back in the land. Prophecy has been fulfilled. 
Temple is being built. Punishment is over. I'm ready to bless you. You know what? We're changing these times of fasting and weeping and to a time of joy and celebration and a total opposite of fasting, we're feasting. And so right there, he gives that answer. And so it says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, It shall yet come to pass that there shall come people and the inhabitants of many cities and the inhabitant of one city shall go to another saying, Let us go speedily to pray before the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I will go also. Yea, many people and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts. Okay, this is Sam Gibbs' verse. It shall come in those days, in those days, in those days. Alright? And whenever they see, you know, and a lot of times it talks about in that day. It's talking about the day of the Lord. But even when it says in that day, that day doesn't always equal the day of the Lord. Now, if it's been talking about the day of the Lord, and then it says in that day, well, then we know we're talking about the day of the Lord. But the thing is, you can be tricky with this because in those days. So if I've been preaching an entire message about how God's going to bring them back to land one of these days, God's doing it, you know, God's doing this, God's doing that. And if I've been talking about the future all message, and then I go to a verse and it says in those days, which days are you going to think I'm talking about? You're going to think I'm talking about in the future. Okay? And if you are a crowd of simpletons, you know, if you're just, or just a blind follower, if you're not a Berean, if you're somebody or just not paying attention, you know, you're, wow, you, know, you bring a good point. This is something in the future. No, it's not. Okay, this, was, this was going on because it says, <clears throat> when it's saying in those days there, it is implying in the future, but that's just because they've got to finish building the temple before this happens. Because remember, when God puts His name there, when He dwells there, it's when the temple is built. Since they are in the process of building the temple, yes, this is still in the future. However, it is spelled out that this is going to be fulfilled in the days of Zerubbabel. He started it. He's going to finish it. So when it's talking about in those days here, it's talking about the days when the temple is built. It's talking about the days that he's been talking about when God chooses to put his name there again. It's talking about the days when they are going to be a blessing again. Now, what does that mean for them to be a blessing? Why, why were they so important during that time? Because when the house of the Lord was in Jerusalem during the time when the temple was there, guess where you would go to make sacrifices? Guess where you went to make atonement for sins? And we see, we're not going to take time to go back and look, there were even things that strangers could do. And we see in the Old Testament where even people from other nations, they would often come to the temple and they had their offerings and they had their things that they could do. And when they would do these things, God would bless them. Now, for these seven, last 70 years, no nation was able to do that because the house of the Lord was not on earth. The land lay desolate. This was bad for the entire world. So whether they knew it or not, this is going to be a good thing for the entire earth when the temple comes, when the temple is rebuilt. When that temple gets rebuilt, God's going to dwell on it again. This is a good thing. Okay? Now, so look what it says in verse 23. So, thus saith the Lord of hosts, in those days it shall come to pass. And anyone who tries to make this about our future is just does not know how to read. Okay? Or they're just being deceptive. It shall come to pass 
that ten men shall take hold out of all languages of the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, saying, We will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. And, all right, so, and man, get, he got so excited. All right, when we were at the college, he was doing this. He was so excited, I thought he was going to wet his pants. All right, he's just he's up there, just all excited as he's doing this. I mean, look at look at these people. You know, there's going to be ten men. They're going to grab hold of the skirt of him that's a Jew, saying, "Hey, we hear that God is with you." Okay, now why was he doing that? One, he's trying to make the Jew more special than everyone else. Okay, and here's the other thing he was doing too. Notice what it says there. We have heard. The Lord is with you. Okay? Now, folks, I've, I've got video proof of all of this from Sam Gipps' YouTube channel. This is, he used this verse to help prove his stupid argument that Jesus was not supposed to be named Jesus, but he was supposed to be named Emmanuel. Because what does Emmanuel mean? God with us. God with us. And notice what it says there. We have heard the Lord is with you. God with us. Right? And yet what he was doing is he was saying, when Mary and Joseph named Jesus Jesus instead of Emmanuel like the angel told them, that he was not able to fulfill this prophecy right here. So it's going to be fulfilled in the future because Jesus has to come and live on earth as Emmanuel. God with us. Now, he did come to earth and they named him Jesus. But that's good for you and me as a Gentile because, you know, we need, you know, we need Jesus. You know, Je- you know, it means, uh, you know Je- Jesus means Jehovah saves or something like that. And that's what we need. We need Jehovah saves. But he's the prophecy of him coming and living on earth, being called Emmanuel, has not happened yet. And so that's something that's for the future. And so right here... We see Jesus has got to come back. He's got to live on earth as Emmanuel. And that is primarily for the Jews. And here's an example of that. Now, first off, the angel said, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now, why? But why did the Bible mention, why was it prophesied that he would be called Emmanuel? You know why? Because it was telling us who he was. He was God. So even though his name was Jesus, was he Emmanuel? Yes, you better believe he was Emmanuel. Okay? But the angel said, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And even Gip includes us in that. But wait a minute, I thought the Jews were his people. I thought he came for the Jews. You know, they, they, they don't know where to go with this. Okay? And so... He's saying, and second of all, what we're seeing here in Zechariah, it's not telling us what God's name was going to be during that time or what the Messiah's name was going to be. It's just saying the Lord is with you. Now, was the Lord with them when they when he built the temple? Yes, he was. Yes, he he was. And then he goes to Revelation, where I think Revelation twenty one, where it talks about and God Himself shall be with them. There it is, Emmanuel. God with us. Be called, he's not going to be called Jesus anymore. He's going to be called Emmanuel. Folks, that's so dumb. And he did that because he gets all excited. Because, I don't know if it's just white guilt because they've been so down on the black people for years and so now they've got to show they're not racist by making Jews more superior than everyone else. I don't know what it is. 
It was the guilt from just listening to all the racial junk that Peter Ruckman taught him during his PBI days. And, you know, and this is a way to ease the guilt of being a stinking racist that he's got to go and just make the Jews the greatest thing that there ever was. But all this is doing is this is just showing how Israel, the Jews, are going to be favored during this time because the Lord is with them. But I've already showed you and proved conclusively that was in that day. That was not something that was for the future. That was in that day. And why? Why was it important? Because the house of the Lord was there. Turn over to Psalms 122. I think Mike Pence referenced this one too. I think, I think he just he kind of alluded to it. In verse 6 where it says, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. Well, that's why we need to pray for Jerusalem. That's why we're going to get us an Israeli flag and we're going to hang it up in our building to remind ourselves every week to pray for Jerusalem. Why? Because we want God's blessings. Uh, right? That's what, that's what they mean when they want God's blessings. A pervert pastor one time told me, can you explain to me why God always blesses us more when we give money to Israel? And I just told him, I said, hey, God blesses us all the time. You just probably notice the blessings more when you're expecting them. It's like Israel's their little good luck charm. Like, like a rabbit's foot or something. It's just absolutely ridiculous. Well, let's pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper the love thee. I mean, that's pretty plain and simple, right? Peace be within thy walls and prosperity within thy palaces. For my brethren and companions' sakes, I will now say, Peace be with thee, because the house of the Lord our God, I will seek thy good. Hey, is the house of the Lord in Jerusalem today? No. Where is the house of the Lord today? Where does God dwell? Oh, wait. No, God's not dwelling in a temple anymore made with hands. Our body is the temple of God. So you know, we ought to pray for the peace of God's people. That's what we ought to be praying for. We ought to pray for peace for those who are saved, for those who love the Lord. That's who we ought to be praying for. And then we can be blessed. So, we see in this, in this passage here that you know, everything that it is talked about, it, the only future we're seeing is just far enough ahead for when the temple is built and then God is going to start doing great things. All right? Now, we'll probably get into more of this as we go on in future weeks, but I, I think this needs to be said and just in case somebody only listens to this message. And then plus, this is a very important reminder. You say, but now, some of the things that He promised... Boy, those things sounded really, really good. I don't really see anywhere in Bible history where that happened. But let's think about what we have of you know history in the Old Testament in the Bible. So chronologically, what do we have as far as books that are after this? We have Zechariah, and we have Malachi. Okay? Now, in Malachi... We're several years later. You know what we're seeing in Malachi? We're seeing God chewing them out because once again they were not doing what they were supposed to do. And you'll and we've seen several examples of this in the book of Zechariah. These things came with disclaimers. If you will search for me with all your heart, if you'll do this, there was all kinds of ifs that we saw in there, and it's very clear that just from the book of Malachi, that they were not doing these things. 
Okay? But here's what was supposed to happen. You say, man, these promises seem really good. But yes, those promises sound great, but they always came with conditions. If you do this. And every once in a while, you will see an example of God making a promise of, I will do this. Okay? Now, and then you'll see something that looks like it's in our future. Well, what we're seeing there is an example of God saying, if you do this, I'll do this. But here's the thing. They didn't do their part. Okay, so you know what that means? God had to come, which He did, and institute a new and better covenant. So whenever we get to some things, and we're going to get to some things that are in the future, it's because what we're seeing is an example of if you do this, I will do this. And sometimes God's just saying, I will do this. But He doesn't really give necessarily a timeline. It would have been fulfilled during the days of Christ if they would have received the Messiah. But they didn't. They rejected the Messiah. They killed the Messiah, which brought in, though, the new covenant, a better covenant. So we do see many things many prophecies in the Old Testament that are still to come. There are things that we see in the Old Testament that are for our future. But many things that we're seeing have already been fulfilled and the primary application that was given in that day, these things were supposed to be filled, fulfilled by the time Jesus came to earth. That's when they were supposed to be fulfilled, but they didn't do their part and their rejection of the Messiah, that was it. That was the final straw. And that, that is what brought in the new covenant. So we can find things in the Old Testament that are for our future. But they are for those who are under the new covenant. They are not for those who are under the old covenant. They are not those for those who are the children of Abraham by the law. It's for those who are the children of Abraham by faith. So it's important that you understand that. It's important that you get that. I just saw Pastor Randall, he did a post on Facebook just asking people how in the world they could think that Gog and Magog takes place, you know, before the rapture or even uh, before the millennium when it is crystal clear in the book of Revelation, Gog and Magog, I mean, it is spelled out, it happens after the millennium. And he's thinking, how could you, how could you even do that? You know, and he brought up the 1948, you know, thinking people thinking 1948 was a fulfillment of Ezekiel 37. And here's how they think that, alright? Here is how they can do that. It's because, once again, they don't understand the fact that Ezekiel, it's written, and it's given prophecy, assuming they fulfill the old covenant. When God gave them that old covenant, it had an end game in mind. And so it's showing in Ezekiel 37 through, really through 48, this is how things are supposed to play out. But when they rejected the Messiah, that changed things. So many things that we see in Ezekiel are going to be fulfilled, but they are going to be fulfilled in a different way, in a better way. So Ezekiel 37 is still yet to come. That is the rapture. Okay, there's, there's no doubt about that. Ezekiel, you know, Gog and Magog, that's going to come after the millennium. Okay, all those things, God's still going to do those things that He promised, but it is going to look a little different 
because of the fact that it's going to be done under the new covenant instead of the old covenant. In Ezekiel 40-48, we see God give an instruction for this new temple that He was going to build. But we don't see anything about that in the New Testament. You know why? Because the New Testament is the New Testament. It's the better testament. It's a better covenant. And when He came to earth and He died on the cross, He was a full, complete, final sacrifice. It'll never need, we don't need any more sacrifices ever again. We don't need a continuing priesthood. We don't need any of those things. We are going to have Jesus Christ, which is so much better. But because Baptists have rejected replacement theology due to political pressure, they can't see that. And so they're left making themselves look like a bunch of bumbling buffoons. They look like a bunch of monkeys trying to you know, juggle chainsaws. You know, and the way they interpret and try to put the Scriptures together. It just... It, it's, it's, you know, just picture monkeys trying to juggle chainsaws. There's going to be a lot of screaming, a lot of limbs, you know, they're going to come up missing. And that's what these guys look like when they stand behind the pulpit. That's what Sam Gibb looked like when he got him stood behind the pulpit and was preaching the stuff he preached. He, they, listen, that church got so embarrassed, they took that sermon offline. They're still not, they still not put up. Somehow he got his hands on the footage. You know, and he put, you know, he, but he was the only one dumb enough, the only one just, you know, that would, be willing to put it on his channel, but at least Gomez was smart enough to be humiliated and take it down. But you know what's sad? This is what's so sad, though. Gomez wasn't smart enough to be humiliated until I told him to his face he should be humiliated. But that even wasn't enough. He had to wait until Pastor Anderson revealed to the whole world that he was stupid. And then, then whenever everyone knew he was an idiot. Then he did something about it. When it was just me, confront him to the face, personally, one-on-one. Hey, as long as nobody else knows, we're all good. No, that didn't work out though. And he did. He, he took it down. And I'm telling you, the preaching in these churches are getting worse and worse. They're falling apart. Listen, the old IFB is dead. There, there is just nothing good coming out of it anymore. It is so apostate. It is so lame. It is so sad. They are trying so hard to get the power of God in their churches today that they literally look like the prophets of Baal jumping on an altar screaming for God to send the fire down. And you know, in the meantime, what are we doing? We're just sitting there laughing. We're sitting there laughing and saying, you bumbling buffoons. All you've got to do is just be obedient. Elijah just went and prayed like nothing and the fire came down. Okay? And you know, and what's been the secret to our success? Why is this movement growing so much? You know why? Because we're just being obedient. We're going out and preaching the gospel to everyone we can. That's what we've actually been told to do. But you know what? Like the prophets of Baal, you know, they'll, they're just short of cutting themselves. They're just short of that. You know, it, and they're getting desperate enough. They might start it pretty soon. I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt it. And it's just, it's high time people just do a little bit of study, get over their preconceived ideas, admit their faults, admit their wrong, and study the scriptures. Stop trying to find some way. And there, there's some people that are getting close on the Israel thing. They're admitting 
a lot of the faults that are being and what's being preached on this, but they're still trying to hang on. Some of them are still hanging on to the 144,000, which is just, I mean, what, you really want to die on that hill? That's just, that's a bad hill to die on. They're just dead wrong on that too. But anyway, thank God for the, the truth, you know, the clarity of the scripture. If you just take the time to just read it, study it, and be willing to believe whatever it says. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word. I pray, your Lord, you'll help us to continue being humble enough to admit when we're wrong on things. And I pray you'll help us to uh, just to keep studying. I pray you'll keep uh, showing us the truth from your word. Help us to see how simple these things are. And Lord, when it comes to those in the old IFB, I pray that you'll, uh, if there are any that's not completely dead, that you will wake them up to these things. I pray that they'll just uh, admit they're wrong and they will just surrender to the truth of your word. It's It's painful. Uh, to watch them going down, and uh, Lord, but I, I pray that uh, you'll still pull some more uh, out of that mess and out of that just uh, corrupted system, and uh, that they'll, they'll be a part of the revival that's going on. In your name we pray. Amen.